Welcome to St. Mark's N4, a church in the heart of Finsbury Park. For more information, visit our website. We can also be found on social media too. We look forward to seeing you at one of our services really soon. It's great to see you. As Trev said, my name is Stephen. I'm part of the team here at St. Mark's. And as he also said, we're doing a bit of a, a prayer hit, a prayer uh, series at the moment, which is, which is going to take us all the way through uh, into Lent um, in various different ways. But we're kicking it off with quite an obvious question. Why? Why do we pray? Why do we actually do this? See, I sat down a couple of weeks ago to think about that, and I realized I just sort of assumed we did. You know, I I had all of my answers, but I just, I'd never really pondered over it. But I think this passage here teaches us three things, three answers for why we pray. Number one, we pray because God listens. Number two, we pray because God is with us. And number three, we pray because God changes things. But first, a little poll, okay? I'd like you to put your hand up if you think God loves me. Yeah, me, genuinely. Put your hand up. I'm really offended that there are genuinely some hands that aren't up. All right, should we do that again? I'm going to turn around, and then, okay, I want to see everyone's hand up, okay? Do you think God loves me? Almost every hand. We'll, we'll roll with that. I promise, that will be vaguely relevant later. So, verse 8 in our passage. Jesus is talking about coming to a friend's house in the middle of the night and asking for food asking for bread. And what he's doing is he's using it as a metaphor for prayer. In this story, God is the friend who's asleep. And yeah, Jesus says this in how you are to approach him. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you bread as much as you need. Now, like I said, this is an example. It's a picture. He's not saying, God's having a nap, and you need to pray really, really loudly, or he won't be able to hear you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when we approach prayer, we do so with shameless audacity. I love that. I love that phrase, shameless audacity. When we do that, he'll give us what we need. Now, there's something quite important here. In Jesus' time, not being able to host was incredibly shameful. It was a really bad thing that was going to have a massively negative uh, effect on your social standing in a time when your social standing was the most important thing to you. So for someone For someone's friend to come to their house in the middle of the night and you can't host them, it's the worst thing. 
It's incredibly, incredibly shameful. So when we read here, because of your shameless audacity, you will get what you need. What Jesus is saying is that the things that we struggle with, that we might not really want to come to our friends, our family, people in church, those around us with, because they're embarrassing. He's saying, that's okay. God knows you. God loves you. The shame we might feel about those things burns away. It burns away like mist in the dawn in front of God's love. There is nothing too shameful, too big. There is nothing too small and silly. When we turn to God and we say, Lord, I can't feed my children today. Please help me. God's response isn't, well, you're a bad parent. No, his response is, here, my child, here is my bread. When we say, Lord, I can't go on, I need your help, he doesn't say, well, it's up to you then. You're an adult. No, he says, here, my child, take my bread. When we say, Lord, I've hurt someone, Lord, I've done something wrong, done something embarrassing. He doesn't say, well, get over it. He says, here, I'm here. Take my bread. See, there's one thing about prayer that is absolutely certain. It's rock solid. So when we pray, God listens. First two verses of Psalm 116. They go like this. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Like Trevor was saying, the structure of our service is a bit different. Um, normally, we sort of go through these different phases. But today, the reason, well, one of the reasons we're doing this talk in the middle of communion is so that we can really remember, we can really know that as we receive the bread and the wine, these solid, real facts, we can remember that God loves us. The structure of Anglican worship isn't based around really emotive music. That's great. That's a good thing. It isn't based around really clever preachers who know all of this stuff and can say it in complicated ways. It's a good thing. That's great. No, it is based around the solid, hard fact, the divine fact of God's presence with us. When we receive the bread and the wine, I want you to remember that God hears you. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. We pray because God listens.
And we pray because God is with us. There's something interesting about that passage in Luke. Do you know, most of it actually comes word for word from the book of Matthew. There are a couple of different reasons why, but it's probably just because Luke had Matthew's book in front of him when he wrote his own. So, verses 11 to 12. Which of you, fathers or mothers, if your son or daughter uh, asks for a fish, will give them a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, in Matthew, play a little bit of spot the difference. There's only one difference. Okay, in Matthew, that verse goes, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Did anyone pick up the difference? Anyone? Tyler. The Holy Spirit. So the difference is that in Matthew, God gives good gifts as the answer to prayer. And in Luke, God gives the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's no difference between the two at all. N.T. Wright, the scholar, he says this about these two verses. It's as if the Holy Spirit contains all other good gifts. In other words, the fullness of human flourishing. Everything we want, everything we need, everything we desire, deep in our hearts, not as the mere whims floating across, but deep within us, is contained in the presence of God. The fullness of life is there. And that's what we mean when we talk about the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us, his breath, his power in the world. Because of this, what happens when we pray is that time changes. We're not sending up a signal to, you know, some distant God out there somewhere doing something. No, we're not doing that at all. No, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, his word, his breath, is here with us. That means that his kingdom is here. Now, when I say time changes, what I don't mean is some sort of Doctor Who sci-fi thing. No, because, because the Holy Spirit is here, because his kingdom is here, everything that will happen in his kingdom at the end of time is happening now. N.T. Wright, again, calls this living in the overlap of what will be, of what is coming, and what is. And in prayer, what we do is we live in that space. We live how we are intended to live. That's the arc of Scripture, from Genesis 1 all the way through to the end of Revelation. What we see is that God is calling us to live in this way, to walk with him, to walk in prayer. So why do we pray? We pray because God is with us. 
We pray because his kingdom breaks through when we do. We pray because when we do, we see him move. And that is what we mean by miracles. It's not some weird event, some sort of holy thing caused by people being really good. No, it's, it's the scent of the kingdom, of God's power coming through. It's not about us, but about him. If you like, it's not breaking the laws of nature. It's the laws of nature, how they were actually intended by God coming about. It's the author of all creation saying how things should be. Now, it's really important to pause here. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that when we pray for things and they don't happen, we're not part of God's kingdom or that he doesn't love us, that he doesn't know us. That's not what I'm saying at all. Scripture is full of times when prayer doesn't work. In fact, there are times when Jesus himself, when he prays, it doesn't work. To be honest, I don't really know why. I've got theories, I've got thoughts, but I don't think anyone really knows. But the important thing is it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, that we're not his. Now, quick, quick question again. Who said, <coughs> who said that God loves me? Most of us, right? Now I want to show you something. This is my left arm. This is my right arm. I'm going to hold them out at the same time. And I want you to see if there's a difference, okay? Can anyone see the difference? Yeah? So a couple of years ago, I broke my right elbow. I fell over a fence. It's a bit embarrassing. I was holding stuff in my hands. I tried to jump over a fence. Slam, straight down, all my weight on one elbow. Really hurt. For various reasons, mostly being an idiotic young man, I didn't really get it seen to. I just thought it would heal on its own. It didn't. It's broken. It's been like that for like seven years. And about a year after it broke, I went to, I went to church, and I asked uh, someone in the church to pray for it. And this guy has seen miracles. He's got great stories. He's been a missionary in Hong Kong. He's done amazing things. He's one of the people I would go to for prayer on anything. We stood at the back of the church and he prayed for my arm to heal and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. It didn't stop hurting. It didn't heal. Nothing. Sometimes that's just what happens. And we all already have agreed that God loves me. That God, it's not about a distance between me and him or something unforgivable I've done. It just sometimes happens. And this guy, like I said, he's prayed so many times. He's prayed for great things. It's not about his lack of faith or my lack of faith. It's just sometimes it doesn't happen. It's not about not being loved. And that's a pretty minor example, right? It's a bit annoying. I worry that when I'm old, I will be a bit more arthritic. But I don't particularly mind. 
But unanswered prayer can be incredibly painful. It can really hurt. It can really damage our faith. It can be so confusing. All of these things that we know to be true don't feel as if they are. It's simply impossible to get to grips with that in a 20-minute talk on a Sunday. It just can't be done. Or in a series of 20-minute talks on a Sunday. And that's one of the reasons I really, really want to encourage you to join a connect group. Because that is where you can go deeper in this stuff. That is where you can ask those difficult questions and have people around you to support. But if there is some unanswered prayer, something big in your life that you do want to talk about, you want to pray through today, um, we'll have prayer ministry later. You can come and talk to me. You can come and talk to Trev. You can take it to your connect group. I really want to encourage you to pray on it. And also, the most important thing is to remember that you are not alone. You're not alone in this. There's a song, singer, John Mark McMillan. I love his music. You should all listen to him. He's brilliant. That, don't let that be your one takeaway from this, but let it be one of them. John Mark McMillan. And one of his songs has this line, I have no answers for heartbreaks or cancers, but a savior who suffers them with me. Even in un unanswered prayer, even in the pain of it, we have God, the risen, resurrected King. We have the hope of the resurrection in Jesus. Again, another quote. This one from John Wimber. Before we prayed for healing, no one was healed. Now when we pray, some people are healed. And that's it. That's all we can really know. And even in the midst of this struggle with unanswered prayer, we will see God move. <coughs> now my final point. My final point is that when we see God move, that changes things. Right, so I left the church when I was about 16. I grew up in a Christian family. I left when I was 16. I was a 16-year-old boy. I wanted to go and do stupid things and get drunk and all of that stuff. And then I came back when I was about 21. My faith came back. It was completely rekindled. It was something new and exciting and vibrant and better than everything I had ever experienced. And at about that time, my family was going through something quite complicated. My parents were on a trip to Japan. Uh, my eldest brother lives out there, and for various reasons that I'm not going to go through now, that's a really complicated relationship between my parents and him. At the time, they hadn't seen him for five years. They hadn't held their grandson, their first grandchild, ever. So it was this complicated, difficult event. They didn't even know if they were going to be able to go and see him. But they were keeping the rest of us informed about it through a WhatsApp group. Family is hard, right? Family can be really difficult. It can be great, don't get me wrong. The people who we love most, amazing, but they're also the people who can hurt us the most. 
So I'm sure you can imagine how complicated that was. I knew the day my parents were going to go and see, try and see my brother and uh, their grandchild, his son. And it so happened that at that time, I, I was making breakfast for some friends. Um, and I was chopping a mushroom. This mushroom is very important in my memory. It's mostly how I remember this. But I was chopping this mushroom, and I prayed. I prayed for probably the first proper real time you know, more than just sort of, oh, my parents think I should, therefore I will, sort of thing. I was chopping this mushroom. And I was praying. I just said, Lord, I can chop a mushroom. I'm fine. I can do this. But I need you to be with my parents. I need you to be there. And as I was chopping this mushroom, the WhatsApp group just started kicking off. My phone was going mad next to me. What was happening was there was this stream of photos and chat and all of this stuff. Because at that moment, my parents had been to see my brother. So as I was dropping this mushroom, I could see on my phone a photo of my mum holding my nephew for the first time. Now, I'm not going to claim that because I prayed, something really big happened. But something did change. Everything isn't better. It's still a complicated relationship. But prayer changes things. Sometimes that's in a big and miraculous. Sometimes that's in the smallest thing. Just feeling God's presence with us. And sometimes it's in the first hug between a grandmother and her grandson. So, again, verse 9 to 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. When we pray, God hears us. When we pray, God is with us. And when we pray, God changes things. So let us pray with shameless audacity, knowing that we have one foot in the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't matter where the other one is. 